First of all, I'd ask you to look at the person to the left of you. If there's somebody to your left, to the right of you, if there's somebody to the right, if there's somebody behind you, turn around, look at them, look at them real well so you can see them. And then in front of you, look at the person in front of you. And now then, I want you to just take a moment and think about it. And uh, what I want you to do is uh, I want you to point at the person that looks like the biggest sinner. Oh, How about this? oh wow. Okay. Thank you that nobody pointed up here. That's a, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Well, to, you know, we're in a, uh, a series that I've just been calling uh, Whom the Sun Sets Free. And here in the passage that we just heard read, Jesus makes it clear that he came to set people free. He came to set them free from things that have bound them, that happened in their past, things that they've done themselves, and things that people, then if they're suffering from things that other people have done to them. He came to free them from those things. He came to free them from things that are entangling them and holding them as prisoners right now. That was his announcement as he began his ministry, that he came to set the prisoner free. And it's later on that he says, whom the son sets free is free indeed. And one of the things that binds us more than anything else is sin. It has been a problem since the very beginning. Since Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed the Lord in the Garden of Eden, it's been a problem. And it's caused things that we need to be set free from. And it puts a barrier between us and God. And Yet today, and in this time and age in particular, there are so many lies about sin. And so many of them that I've, I, it took me all week to sort down to what I really, sift down to what I really had time to talk to you about. And so I've just sifted it down to three basic lies about sin that you may be a victim of. And that's keeping you from drawing closer to the Lord or maybe has pulled you away. And the, the, remember that Satan is the father of lies. Uh, it says that that's, Jesus says that's his language is lies. And he lies to us. And if we're not careful, there are some lies we will buy into. The first lie about sin that if you haven't used it, then uh, you know somebody that has. You hear this all the time when you come across people. People will say sin number one or the number one lie. I'm not a bad person. You know, I don't need to worry about it. I'm not sinful because I'm, I'm not a bad person. Uh, let me explain it like this. There was a guy. This isn't a true story, by the way. This is just, this is a, a parable, okay? So you won't be shocked at the end. And, uh, anyway, I've, I've discovered that sometimes I'll be telling stories and people believe them. And uh, 
Uh, so uh, I just don't want you to, I want you to know, this is just an example. It's fictitious. There's this guy, he was lost in the desert and he was just climbing out over dune after dune after dune in the hot sun. And he was so thirsty. He was so thirsty. And then finally, after he had just traveled for so long, his throat just parched. He climbs over this dune looking for anyone, anything, just some source of water. And in the distance, he sees a guy that's screaming out something. At first, he can't even understand what it is. As he gets closer, he hears what he's saying. He's saying, free neckties, free neckties. And the thirsty guy looks at him as if to say, why in the world would I ever want a necktie? And the guy offered him one said, hey, you want a free necktie? And he said, get out of my way. And the thirsty guy climbed over the next dune. And there in the distance was the most beautiful, fine dining restaurant you ever saw. And so this guy goes up to the restaurant and there's this fancy waiter outside the door. And he said, can I just come in? I just need a drink of water. And the waiter looks at him and he says, I'm sorry, sir, but you can't come in without a necktie. Now, the moral of the story is this. If you don't see your need of a necktie, you're not going to want a necktie. In the same way, unless we realize and see ourselves as sinners, we're not going to see our need for a Savior. Unless we recognize that we are separated uh, from God by our sinfulness, we'll not see our need for a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So many of us, it just feels good to say, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm just, I'm not all that bad. That's the way it's usually put. Yeah, I'm sure God's going to cut me slack. Look at the guy on TV. Look what he did. Man, now that's something that's bad. Look at that. I'm not as bad as that guy. He's horrible. Can you believe what he did? And then we compare ourselves to others, and we can always find somebody worse than we are. Yeah, but does that mean we're not bad? Just because we find somebody worse? If you've got B.O. and somebody stinks more than you do, does that mean you don't stink? You know, there's a there's this 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 comparison thing doesn't cut it. And the thing is, Isaiah uh, 64, 6, it says all of our righteous acts, everything that we've ever done uh, that is right and holy and pure. If we added that all together all those good things, it would be like filthy rags. Our best attempt at the righteousness that we should have is just incredibly short of what God requires of us. We're very, very sinful in the eyes of God. And unless we recognize that, we're not going to see our need for Jesus Lie number two is that all sin is the same. All sin is the same. Now, it's very common today. 
It's common because people will use the lie to justify their sinfulness. You'll hear uh, people say, hey, who are you to judge me, Christian person? You're a sinner too. And my sin is no worse than your sin. All sin's the same. And the fact is that a lot of people will say, well, doesn't God say that all sin's the same? And you know what? It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say that all sin is the same. Now, let me be very, very clear that all unforgiven sin is the same in that it separates us from a holy God. It is the same in that way. The punishment for unforgiven sin is the same, and that is hell. All sin does separate us from God. Now, let me be very clear about that. But the consequences, both on earth and in eternity, for our actions are not the same. Our obedience or our disobedience influence three things. First of all, it influences our rewards in heaven. If you're obedient and you do some right things, Scripture says, you'll be rewarded in heaven. And that's very, very good news. Our obedience or our disobedience, secondly, influences punishment in hell. Now, let me say, first of all, that hell is a very real place, and you don't want to go there, and you do not want anyone else to go there. It's more horrible than you could ever imagine. But Scripture is clear that there are some actions that people will commit against the heart of God that will lead to a more severe punishment in a place called hell. Whenever we mislead little children, when we do like somebody in the news did this, that we've been seeing in this past week, when we uh, pull little children and pull children and commit crimes against children, that's a more horrible offense than if it's against someone else. But that doesn't mean that lesser crimes aren't evil. But the third thing is this. Our obedience or disobedience also influences consequences here on earth. There are some sins you can commit that aren't going to wreck your life as fast. There are other sins that you commit them on earth and they're going to hurt very, very quickly and very, very badly. I guess one of the things that I've seen, you know, some people, they, they almost make light of drug abuse. And yet I have tried to help people that have been hooked on speed, on meth, and I've watched it just tear their lives apart. And uh, some sins do have quicker and worse consequences than others. Uh, well, here's an, an example. Say I was uh, late to church today, and so I was driving five miles over the speed limit, and I blew through a traffic light just as it was turning red, and I got pulled over and given a ticket. I sinned, but chances are pretty good that y'all would forgive me of that. Uh, I could pay the fine. I could still drive. And chances are you'd allow me to continue to be your pastor. On the other hand, if I got uh, arrested for selling drugs to teenagers, 
you probably wouldn't want me to be your pastor anymore. See, there's a difference. People want to say, oh, it's all the same. It's not all the same. The consequences are not all the same. There'll be more severe consequences for that sin than for the sin of speeding. There are different consequences for our sin, both on earth and eternally. A couple of examples of Jesus said, uh, the servant who knows his master's will and does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. And then the thing is that if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, there's a more severe punishment. But verse 48 says, the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten, but with few lashes. So uh, there are difference in levels of punishment. In the Old Testament, uh, there were 11 sins that if you committed any one of these 11, you were worthy of death. But there were like hundreds of other sins that uh, were not punishable by death. Uh, Jesus uh, calls attention to the religious uh, leaders of the day. The, those that, uh, he said, beware of the teachers of the law, for they love to parade in flowing robes. You know, look how holy I am. Uh, and everybody nodding to them and showing them reverence in the marketplaces. But Jesus said they shamelessly, shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. You see, they have an outward appearance of being religious, but inwardly they're hypocrites. And because of this, Jesus said their punishment will be greater. So there are different, there are different degrees of sin, different degrees of consequences, different degrees of uh, God dealing with us here in this life and just repercussions of life. So lie number one, I'm not a bad person. Lie number two, all sin is the same. Yes, all unforgiven sin separates us from God, but all sin is not the same. Number three, and this is uh, played out almost every day in lives around the world. And that is the lie that uh, people believe, well, shucks, I've already sinned, so I may as well continue. I know it doesn't make any sense when you say it out loud, but people do this all the time. I've already blown it in this area, so why not do it again, you know? Uh, an example, a young man and a young lady, they believe in God's standards of righteousness. And they say, you know what? We're going to wait till we're married for lovemaking. And then somehow they mess up and they wind up giving away their virginity. And then their thinking is, well, since I've already done it, we may as well just keep on going. And you'll see people who have made a decision early on. I'll be a virgin when I marry. And because they blew it at a certain age, they'll have 11 sex partners before they ever get married. Where else will you see it? Well, uh, we know we're not supposed to look lustfully at someone. And so we don't. And then one day we're on the computer and something pops up 
And from that moment on, this is, well, done it once. May as well just keep on doing it. I've blown that one. Second Peter 2.20 says this about that. And some of you right now very well may be able to relate to the power and the truth of this verse. Scripture says, If you have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you are again entangled in it, it says, if you are overcome, you are worse off at the end than you were at the beginning. You know the life and the power and the forgiveness of Jesus, but you step back into the destructive power of sin. You're going to be worse off than you were even a long time ago. That's why this next principle is so true. The most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians. I'll say that again. The most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians, but instead it's Christians living in sin. Some of you right now, you know this. The most miserable people in the room right now are not those who are not believers in Christ and doing whatever they want. It's those who are followers of Christ who step back into the destructive power of sin and you're miserable and you know it and you know why and you ache because everyone else thinks you're okay, but on the inside you're dying in your sin. Why is sin so destructive? Because it is incredibly progressive in nature. It may seem small and inconsequential one moment, but then it grows and it grows and it grows and it kills and it steals and destroys, fulfilling the message of the evil one who came to kill and steal and destroy everything that matters to the heart of God. It's progressive. It starts small. And then it grows and grows and grows until it leads to destruction. In the first chapter of James, beginning in the 14th verse, we read this. Each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So what's the problem? People today are wanting to add Christ without subtracting sin. They want revival without repentance. And folks, it's not going to happen. We're not going to see a revival in this land until we see repentance in this land. Spiritual maturity is not just how much we know. It's how much we obey what we do know. The problem is many of us have been educated well beyond our level of obedience. We know full well what God wants us to do, but we're not doing it. Why or what should we do? Scripture says that we should repent. Let's everybody say that word together on count of three. We're going to say repent. One, two, three. Repent. 
That wasn't good enough. One, two, three. Yes, yes, that's what we have to do. The church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.19, Jesus is uh, talking to this church. And this church is like a lot of us today. It was full of people who had the outward appearance of faith. But they were very, very lukewarm in their commitment and in their handling of sin. And do you know what Jesus said to them? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He said to them, so be earnest and do what? Repent. Repent. Yes, be earnest and repent. It's all about the re. Have you ever noticed that? It's all about the re. Uh, Re means to go back to. Pent, that part of the word, you know the word penthouse? The word pinnacle, the, the, the pinnacle of something is the top of it. A penthouse is the place at the top. Somehow people think of repentance as being something where you go down for some reason. Have you ever noticed that? You think, oh, I repent, you know, and it's like you're going down. But the thing is, whenever you repent, you're leaving what's down and you're going up. Do you see that? You're going back up. I'd never noticed that before. But uh, a few years ago, uh, we're, well, we're, we're to return, you see. A few years ago, a minister did a study on the words beginning with re, with R-E. And uh, he took all these different re words and he put, to, put, put them together in one sentence. And I want you to hear this sentence and more than hear it, I hope you'll live it and experience it. He calls it, it's all about the re. When you rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of your sins and receiving Christ, your spirit will be reborn, your mind renewed, and your life will be rebuilt. You will be reconciled by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ while you rejoice and you will reap the rewards of a relationship with Jesus causing real revival to break free. It's all about the re, returning to God's ways. So what do people say about Christians? They say, oh, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing and do another. We want to add Christ without subtracting sin. Can I just say to you, when you really experience the freedom of Christ, when you really experience what he came to bring, what he proclaimed that he was bringing to you, you don't want to go back. You don't want to remain in sin anymore. And if there's no noticeable difference on the outside at some point, you have to question, is there the reality of his presence on the inside? When this uh, heart, when your heart is broken because you sinned against God, when's the last time your heart was broken because of that? When is the last time that you have worshipped and just not been able to stop because God has more grace than your greatest sin. Folks, 
It's not a game. And we just have one shot. Sin is not a joke. Calling sin, sin is not an intent to bring offense. It's something to avoid. Sin is something to avoid. It's something to address. You address it so you can ask God to deal with it in your life. When you rebuke the enemy and return to God, you receive forgiveness for your sins and your spirit will be reborn. Your mind will be renewed. Your life will be rebuilt and you will be reconciled by Christ's redeeming work while you rejoice. You'll reap the rewards of relationship causing revival to break free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. And we thank you that your mercy is available to those who are in Christ. God, we thank you that new life is available to those who would turn to you and those who would return to you today. And now I ask all of you while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, just take a moment and give a name to the dominant sin that is affecting your life right now. Just give it a name. It may be pride. It may be greed. It may be rebellion. It may be lust. It may be anger. It may be bitterness or unforgiveness. It may be a rebellious heart or a critical attitude. It may be the desire to be in control all the time. Whatever it is, give it a name right now. I mean, call it what it is. Don't name it George or Susie. You know, give it a name it for what it really is. Give a name to it. And we're going to take that to God. And we're going to humbly ask him to forgive us. We're going to worship him for forgiving us and setting us free. And then we're going to ask him to take that away. Remove that barrier so we can be more intimate with him and more faithful to him in this world. And now that you've given that sin a name, if you want to pray along with me, just lift your eyes up here just momentarily. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Let us pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us for these sins. God, we thank you that in Christ there is forgiveness And Lord, we owe you all of our life because of your grace and because of your forgiveness. Father God, we confess this to you and we thank you that whoever confesses sin to you, God, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for, and now just insert, don't say it out loud, but insert the name of your sin right there. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Make me brand new. Make me like you because you died for me. Fill me with your spirit so I can live for you. Take my whole life, every bit of it, including that bit that I've been holding back, including that bit that I have refused to let go of. Make it yours. Make my whole life yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.